What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Tips in 10, where we give you the top tips in the least amount of time. This series was built to help you stay in the know without taking a chunk out of your schedule. Let's welcome today's guest, Joel Primus, an entrepreneur, among other things. Joel is the founder and creative visionary behind Naked Underwear. He helped raise over $17 million dollars establishing retail distribution at Holt Renfrew, Nordstrom, Hudson Bay, and Bloomingdale's. So Naked completed a merger with an Australian-based industry powerhouse, Bendon Lingerie, in 2018. Recently, Joel co-founded Cosan, a travel clothing company, which launched one of the most successful Kickstarter apparel products of all time, reaching nearly 1 million in sales in just 30 days. What does that say? He's a rock star. He was one <laughs> of the inaugural BC Business's top 30 under 30 entrepreneurs and is also an author, strategic advisor, and an award-winning documentary filmmaker, which I've had the pleasure to watch. This guy just produce everything you know, on uh, social media. He's, he's awesome to see. Joel, it's a pleasure to have you on. Are you ready to kick start this, brother? Let's do it. Let's I do it. it. I love it. <laughs> How you so doing, first Mike? of all, doing great, brother. Doing great. Thanks so much for being on here. Excited to have you on here today. There's going to be so much value and I'm stoked. Mm. But what is your number one tip to overcoming big failures, both personally and professionally? Yeah, I thought it, I found it really interesting when you said, you know, he's a total rock star and you listed all my failures, excuse me, you listed all my successes. <laughs> and then there's the long list, of, <laughs> not small, those happen too, but big failures. You know, I'm wearing, I'm wearing a t-shirt today from a company that failed, that went under during the pandemic. Uh, we had um, product that was made in China and it got stuck there when everything shut down. And it, I'm wearing it today just as a reminder to myself of like what I was proud of, what I did. And, um, and that I think all entrepreneurs need to adhere to this one story. So I read my kids' bedtime stories every night. And one of those stories is called, um, oh my gosh, what's, it's, uh, it's, uh, there's no such thing as dragons, okay? And in the story, there's no such things as dragons. The little boy wakes up and he's got this little tiny kitten-sized dragon. And he goes down, he shows his parents and he says, mom, dad, I have this dragon. And of course they say, there's no such thing as dragons, right? Have you read this book, Mike? I haven't. I haven't. Okay. I'm, so I'm, I think I'm it's in. Jack Poole is the author. So over the course of the book, the more that the parents say there's no such thing as dragons and the more the boy believes this, the dragon gets so big that eventually it fills up the entire house, stands up and walks the entire house down the street plops it in a new location. And only once the parents and the dad acknowledge the dragon, does it eventually shrink back down to kitten size. So this is a simple metaphor for acknowledging our problems, right? And if we don't acknowledge them, they get very big. Well, the inverse of that is also true when it comes to failure. We can create a, a massive dragon out of this idea of failure when it doesn't need to be such. When we when we accept that failure is something that can happen and does happen with almost every single successful entrepreneur I know have big and small failures, we 
get rid of the dragon in the room, right? So one of the ways that you can do this is just by acknowledging it's there and fear setting around it. So fear setting is a stoic principle. Tim Ferriss has a TED talk about it. And it's just, it's just getting comfortable with the worst case scenario up front and understanding that whatever that worst, worst case scenario is, let's say it's chapter 11, knowing that one, your worthiness is not on the line if it happens, right? Who you are, what you've done is not on the line. There's no spotlight on you. You know, human beings have this tendency to think that the whole world revolves around them when, you know, unless you're Elon Musk or Donald Trump, really nobody cares that much. There's no spotlight except for the one you cast on yourself, right? And and so this idea that it's going to be some big monumental thing that you have to avoid at all costs, no. You know, as they say in Silicon Valley, Valley fail fast, fail cheaply, and fail forward. So that's my advice on overcoming big fear. Oh, I, I wanted to add one more thing. And you don't have to be some macho stoic about it either. If you have a big failure, process the emotions normally that come alongside it, right? Rage, anger, sadness, whatever. Allow those things to happen. They're there in your body for a reason. They're your body's way of cleansing trauma, cleansing negativity. And the sooner you do it and acknowledge that these, these emotions are there, the faster you process them. And the sooner you can move on. That was very well put. And I just love that analogy too. And that book, I mean, it's just spot on. And it, you know what, you bring up a great point too, just about the fact that, you know what, you got to nip it early, right? Yeah. You got to nip it early be before it does become a monster. And mm -hmm. you know what, I think a lot of times people don't do that. And then that's where they get stuck because pride gets in the way and mm -hmm. they're just like, Hey, you know what, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. And then it's out of control. And you know what? Yeah. I, I saying to myself, you know, being honorable cuts both ways. Honorable in the sense, like if you have shareholders, you've raised money and you want to do right by those shareholders. Um, but, and so you kind of cling on, you can't cut away early. You can't see that something is sunk that, you know, you can't throw good money after bad versus, oh my gosh, my honor has turned into pure ego and pride. And I'm not doing this for them. I'm doing this for myself now, my reputation. Exactly. So. And, and two, just also, I mean, just the experience and the education that you get from it. Yeah. Right. I mean, look, I've started six companies. I'm running three, three closed down, didn't work. It's okay. You know what, whatever, move on, right. Mm -hmm. Fail forward. It is what it is. I gave it a shot. I didn't, you know what, it wasn't meant to be. It is what it is. What's next. Let's just keep focusing on one day at a time. So mm -hmm. how do you stay creative? You know what I mean? On a consistent basis, you know, especially even something, you know, from, you know, after failure and stuff like that. Yeah. Right? And, and this, this point definitely leads into, uh, leads from the other one, you know, there's, so are you familiar with, um, Joseph Campbell at all? I'm not. You're Joseph stopping me Campbell, today, brother. The, the, hero, the hero's journey, the classic iconic tale that is essentially, the, the structure of all storytelling that we see in, in, in literature in Hollywood, where, you know, the, the hero, which is all of us, has a, has a curiosity, has a question. They set out on this adventure. They get beaten up, beaten up, beaten up. They become better. They become stronger. And eventually they, um, you know, they failed and then they become the best version of themselves. And so in, in Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey, he talks about um, the cave of darkness of which we fear is, is that where we need to go. And often, often creativity is what is inside that, right? Whether that creativity is painting or writing or, or, or even starting a business, 
we get the self-sabotaging voice in our head that says, you can't do this. So author Stephen Pressfield, who wrote The War of Art, says that voice is the resistance. And we have to rage against the resistance. We have to do everything we can to beat this resistance. So how do we do that? Well, I'm just going to digress for just a, a second here. So are you familiar with long tails? Do you know what long tails are? No. Not like long tails on a dog. Yeah. <laughs> so long tails in business are essentially, it's like, it's the farthest end of a distribution of outcomes. So gotcha. these farthest ends of distributions of outcomes actually have tremendous influence. In other words, like a small number of events actually has the biggest influence on the success of a business and the success of a creative product project. This is the iPhone to Apple. This is Amazon web services to um, Amazon. You know, this is, this is in a way Snow White to Disney. You know, I think Disney had done dozens, if not hundreds of things before Snow White hit and they took off. And so when you accept that it's on the margins, on the long tail that you're successful, the idea of being consistently creative takes on new meaning. It doesn't, it takes the weight out of, oh my gosh, is this one blog? Is this one podcast? Is this one song that I do? going to make it. Maybe, maybe not. But over the long haul, we, via being consistent, it will happen. One of these things will click. Subtle art of not giving a fuck. Mark Manson, one of the best-selling books of, I mean, certainly the year it came out. You know, just one blog that, of, that went ultra vi um, viral for him. So this is how you need to think about your creativity, is the daily practice in which the long tail, the, you know, the margins are going to win. And how you do it is, you know, one of the ways to do it is being okay with good enough, being consistent and being okay with good enough. If you're writing, you know, this is hits close to home, written a book, become friends with the resistance. Know that the voice in your head that's saying you can't do it is just the resistance. And when you become friends with it, it's no different than becoming friends with an antagonist that you, you, you humanize it in a way that it no longer holds power over you. You know, you can have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I suck. I'm going to write anyway. And one of the ways that you do that is by creating a really enjoyable ritual around your writing or your creativity that you can practice on almost every day, whether that's waking up early, whether that's staying up late, whether that's how you do your, your coffee, or you like to do it after a workout, creating a consistent ritual in which everything comes off the phone, the notifications, et cetera, et cetera. And for one hour you create, and it doesn't matter if it's junk, right? It does not matter. So that's one of the ways, um, but the, the professionals at this, which I'll leave with the advice is Seth Godin's The Practice. That's a book, The War of Art, as I mentioned, Steve Pressfield and the iconic producer, Rick Rubin's um, The Creative Act, three fantastic books on staying creative. Yeah, it's it's funny you bring that up about hey, just right. You know, we had I just recently went to a concert, and the guy actually went. We went to uh, an opportunity to see him before, and like for a little Q and A, and he just talked about how he was just kind of encouraging everyone. You know, if you want to become a singer and a songwriter and whatnot, just start writing now. Like he started as a teenager, and he's like, look, my music. I look at it now; it was trash, mm -hmm. but it started it right. And it just, you know, created the consistency where he just kept on writing to where now, I mean, he's winning Grammys. 
And you never know where the trash really is because there's a story that Rick Rubin shares, I think on the Rich Roll podcast where he's in the recording studio with Anthony Kiedis, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. And all the songs that they've agreed to record or whatever, they're fine and good, but you know, they're not getting what they want necessarily. And then Rick and Anthony go for a walk and Rick Anthony's like, what, what's in your notebook? What's the stuff you didn't share with me? And, um, you know, reluctantly, Anthony shares the notebook with him and he's like, oh, it's not even a song. It's more of a poem and yada, yada, yada. And turns out that's one of the, I, I can't remember which song it was, but turns out that was one of the biggest hits Red Hot Chili Peppers ever had. And it was hidden in a trash notebook. Right. So, you know, you just never know. Um, and you're, you're not, you're not always your best critic when it comes yep. to creating art. Right. Yep. That's good. That's good. So, you know, and, and obviously from failure and stuff like that, you, you know, sometimes you get stuck because you stay in the comfort zone. <laughs> talk us, you know, talk to us about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm gonna, that's going to be needed. Absolutely. You know, we have to, there's this idea that, and, and this is a very masculine idea, uh, idea. And I don't mean men, I mean, you know, if you, t- if you think about the polarities of energy in the world, masculine energy is very much about seeking freedom. Okay. We think about it. There's freedom in a beer. There's, you know, sipping a beer at the end of the day, there's freedom surfing, there's freedom. Once I get my work done, right? Well, the inverse of that is freedom as freedom as, and what this means is I accept that there is struggle in the world and there will be struggle every day. And I'm going to mentally work to experience freedom in this struggle, as opposed to from this struggle, having to have a certain set of um, outcomes outside of myself that create that freedom. I can be free in the chaos, right? And that's, and that's really the magic to, to a a more stress-free life. And one of the ways, there's many ways to do this. You know, you can do this through meditation, spiritual practice, um, so on and so forth, but I'm a very physical person. I was a long distance runner, um, uh, represented Canada internationally. And so this idea of learning to push myself to become, you know, friends with that struggle, uh, has helped me free myself from it. Hasn't helped me not fear. It has helped me relish in it as something that makes me better. And one of the ways that we can do this using this physical example is something called a misogi. So a misogi is in Japanese, it's, it's known as sort of an ice shower. So you stand under a waterfall and you sort of purify yourself. But in recent times, it's been popularized by a guy named, is it Mike Zeller? I think it's Mike Zeller who wrote The Comfort Crisis. Fantastic book. And he has sort of redefined alongside a couple of sports uh, physiologists, this idea of misogy as a physical challenge that you undertake once a year annually in which you have a 50% chance of failing at. Okay. Mm. So if you're a long, if you're a marathon runner, running a marathon is not your misogy, right? Cause you already can, but maybe you take one paddleboard lesson and then you do the paddleboard equivalent of a marathon, right? Something that you've never done before, but you probably have a chance. And what happens in this is you, you tap into the unknown pains and angst and agony of a physical pursuit that you have to mentally work through that you're unfamiliar with. 
you know, in, in, in Michael's example, he went up on a 40 day caribou hunt, um, into Alaska, right? He'd never done anything like that before. So there's the solitude, etc. Um, so I say, pick something that is, you know, something you'd be interested in doing. That's a, that takes an entire day. And e even if you fail and then you go do it again, but let's say you're successful, let's go there. All of a sudden your perspective on what it is that you can do, having worked through something that you didn't train nine months for shows the capacity of your mind and your mind's ability to overcome struggle. And, and your ability to, you know, be okay with struggle and still come out the other end of it. So I recommend a Masagi. <laughs> that was a great, that was a great, you know, definition of it and, and defining, you know, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, you know, and a lot of times people don't have it stated in that way. I look at that as a golf, you know, golf is, is my struggle, but you know what, you got to tackle it every day. And honestly, you know, I think a lot of times too, I mean, I tell people, I say, look, I mean, you can accomplish anything that you want to accomplish if you put your mind to it, right? You got to believe first. I always utilize the, the quote, you know, from Henry Ford, if you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I mean, it's just right there. Just believe and like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. and, and if you, if you say it like, look, what are the chances of me, you know, doing it and, and fighting through if I say, ah, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. I, well, I'm this just, is, I'm not. Yeah. And this is, this is where, you know, ice baths are sort of a, a tech bro kind of buzzy thing right now. Okay. And, and, yeah. I, you know, it's a Misagi's original, um, you know, essentially a form of that in a singular event. But if you think about this idea of mental talk, oh, I, I'm not good at cold. I can't, no, I can't go in the cold. And then you go in and for about 40, for the first 45 seconds, your body has an adverse reaction to the cold water. It's an, it's immediate responses, eject, get the F out, right? This is not good. You're going to die. And then it settles. And then that reaction goes away after 45 seconds, right? And you get to a place where, you know, between 45 seconds and three minutes in, in, in significantly chilly water, you realize, oh, I was wrong. My mind was wrong about my ability to do this. Even if I didn't like it, I did it. And then when you come out, the invigorating effects, the release of, you know, oxytocin and all the happy hormones, when you come out of there, you're like, oh, wait, to have endured struggle makes me feel better. It's, it's like inside five minutes, you have an entire lesson on, on, on your ability to overcome what your mind tells you you can't. That's and that's good. what I love so much about ice baths. Yeah. Yeah. I have yet to do it. I, I mean, I've got to do it. I've sat in one. I mean, I was younger. I would totally do it. I've got no problem with it. I do believe it's, you know, yeah. mindset is, is, is paramount and you can do whatever it is that you want. You just got to fight through it. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. And that's why it's mindset is so important, especially in business. So let's have, let's have a little bit of some, some fun questions here, just to kind of finish this thing up. So tell me, what is your favorite vacation destination this is gonna be a tough one for you yeah i uh, as of if you ask me right now if we're talking about culturally it's it's vietnam it's ho chi minh city um i'm not i'm not talking like sit on a beach vacation that's elsewhere but there is no city in the world that is just so strange and chaotic and beautiful and and 
energetic as that I've been to as Ho Chi Minh City. So I love visiting there and sitting down and having a beer and watching a million scooters drive by <laughs> complete <laughs> sheer chaos. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so how about this? No, the second one, name something at the very top of your bucket list. Very top of my bucket list. Very top of my bucket list. Um, well, I'm about to do it. Uh, Tokyo to go to, to go to Tokyo. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. That is, I mean, everything, so much of my life is, is, um, goes through the lens of travel and the experience of travel. It's, it's, it's it awesome. shapes me. Yeah. And, and you bring your family with you too. So, which is, yeah. which is awesome. Which is usually awesome. they, the, my daughter was going to come with me to Tokyo. She didn't want to come because she still has to do a COVID test and she didn't want the, uh, the thing up her nose. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. <laughs> that's, that's how cool. she weighed. That's how she I weighed. Love that. <laughs> I love it. I love she it. Should we up my so, nose for two seconds? No, I skipped Japan. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, because you traveled so much, tell me the weirdest thing you've ever eaten. Uh, lamb brains or scorpion, but lamb brains would be weirder than scorpion. Yeah, <laughs> that is. I, I've, eaten, I've eaten chicken feet. Like, yeah, you know. Yeah, I've seen. I just watched something the other day that had like chicken feet in, and I was like, oh gosh. I mean, I'm not saying that I couldn't do it. I would give it a shot. I'm not saying I would like it. Oh man, I had cow tongue not too long ago, and I was like, "All right, yep, okay, I've I've tried it. This is good enough, and, and I'm just going to leave it right there." Well, Joel, My thank you so much. Is, oh, I, I apologize. I cut you off, Mike. No, go on. No, I was just saying, go. Up. Fire away. My my philosophy on eating strange food is just have a cold beer beside you, and you're good. <laughs> Something to wash it down. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So thanks so much for joining us today on Tips and 10. Joel, what is the best way for our audience to connect with you? Joelprimus.com, the blog, um, the website, and you can check out joel.primus at Instagram. That's where everything is and feeds to and from. Awesome. Awesome. Well, everyone, thanks again for another episode of Tips and 10. Joel, you are an amazing guest. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you.